You're listening to Recovery, Healing, Outreach, and Awareness, a podcast about domestic violence, sponsored by Randy's House of Angels. Domestic or intimate partner violence is a complex and silent epidemic that affects millions of people worldwide. To respond to the overwhelming issues associated with domestic violence, Randy's House of Angels has produced a series of podcasts beginning in October that will bring this epidemic to the forefront of public consciousness and break the silence that often shrouds it. I'm Paul Miller, the producer of this program, and we invite you to access the podcasts by going to randyshouseofangels.org. Today we are discussing why victims do not leave domestic violence relationships. What do abusers do to keep them from leaving? Joining us here today is Nancy J. Chavez and Diane McMillan. Nancy Chavez, a victim and survivor of domestic violence and the survivor of the murder of her daughter, Randy. Diane McMillan, a survivor of the murder of her sister in 2018, will talk about growing up on a family dairy farm in rural Perry County, Pennsylvania, as one of five children, while also helping her elderly parents with the trauma over the past few years. Her sister left behind a daughter, Christy, who at the time of her mother's death was expecting Sue's first grandson, and a son, Nathan, who resides in South Carolina. Diane will tell her story about the impact of the murder on her family, how so many feelings and discussions took place afterward to find anything that might have led to Sue's murder. In the midst of helping to manage the estate, so much was found that gave some insight to why her sister was brutally murdered by her husband. The questions still linger as to why Sue did not leave her abuser. Today's facilitator on the Randy's House of Angels podcast is Dr. Ellen Smith, M.D. Dr. Smith retired after 30 years of teaching and practicing in family medicine education in the Harrisburg area. Since she retired, she has spent a great deal of time learning about adversity and how to bounce back and become more resilient. She is very appreciative to have had the opportunity to educate thousands of people about these topics. Each training is customized for the participant, focused with many practical applications for immediate use. Her medical background helps build trust and understanding standing during trainings. She spends a great deal of time volunteering at the Trinity Preschool of Harrisburg. Considering that there is a lot of adversity, such as poverty, racism, and other discrimination within our preschool community, there's also a great opportunity to support and build resilience. Additionally, Dr. Smith volunteers at her local church. She has also developed a tool called the Personal Resilience Planner, which takes the above concepts and provides a practical way to look at strengths, trauma responses, resilience, and how to progress in these areas over time. Good morning, Diane. So glad to have you here. Um, we would like to talk a little bit about domestic violence today and your experience. I understand you lost your sister to domestic violence. Could you tell me the story? Yes, uh, we lost her on July 15, 2018. She knew her abuser in the past, uh, met him when he stayed at a campground back from our place years ago. And when her marriage was going through financial strains, she uh, used Facebook as her outlet, and they reconnected, and we found out about this in 2010. Uh, when we knew she started seeing him, we 
discouraged her because his past history was not good with uh, different women and had a history of abusing. But at that point, she said he had changed and we were wrong. So she pursued her relationship with him, ended up getting married in 2011, shut the family out for a while, changed her ways with her children. In that case, my sister and I had to take care of her son, who was a senior in high school, and I took him for his graduation pictures. Uh, Their daughter, Christy, was single on her own with a job and stuff, but we just kind of stepped in, filling in as a mother, and we were so upset because that wasn't our sister. Her children were everything. So we knew Jim was swaying her with the way she was thinking. And then after a while, I constantly would send her emails, and her ex-husband would, trying to get her out of this relationship. He was involved as a paramedic, a firefighter, in with the police in the area. So I got a PFA in the mail one day, and that really shocked me, and I guess he felt I was trying to sway Sue too much. After a while, she dropped it, and we decided to have a relationship with her We just had to tolerate him, even though in the back of our mind, we always questioned things. But in front of us, always happy-go-lucky, you know, never showed signs of abuse. So when this all happened, it brought back our, our wondering and things. We found out more from her friends that she shared with. She never shared anything with us the whole time she was married to him. And then we found lots of writings in the house when we cleaned out the house She would make a journal that would make you think she wanted us to find this someday. Incidents of Mm -hmm. his anger, how he treated her. Sometimes she said she had enough, she wanted out. The next time it would be she was there to protect her children because evidently he threatened her that if she left, he would find them and do harm to them. Now we even wonder if he would do something to our parents or anybody in our family. But he kept her there in fear. So, I mean, but we didn't, excuse me, know any of this till after the fact. Thank you so much for telling your story. I know sometimes that can be really difficult. And just recognizing your sister Sue as a person and how things changed. I'd like to move to Nancy. Nancy, you've given your story in the past, but folks may not have heard that podcast. So if you could just briefly speak of your experience. I was married very young. I fell in love with a man that just told me that I was his queen, his princess, his everything. And that was um, in a matter of months. I thought, wow, this guy is so sincere. What I thought was the right thing was really the wrong thing. I actually ran away and married him. I left my family, everything behind, going to college and my job, my car, my family. But what I learned about myself over the years is that I knew that I was so naive and being so naive is what my ex-husband now uh, an abuser took advantage of. Um, I was given the opportunity for my parents to be taught a lot of things, you know, being a good housekeeper, being able to be independent on my own, to do the right things for anyone that I would marry, you know, in the future. But this man knew that he could take me away from my family and yet have everything. Um, And I didn't realize that until the first day that I was away from my family. It was the trip 
to Virginia. He was in the Navy. And I kept thinking, like, I miss my parents. I miss my parents. But at the same time, I'm sitting beside this man that I'm calling my husband, being labeled a wife. So it was scary. But I would tell you that once we got to Virginia in Norfolk, um, he set the rules uh, for me and determined what my future would be with him being his wife. He not only, I say, mentally abused me by telling me what I should and should not do initially, but also began to immediately to be very physically abusive. That, to me, was extremely um, difficult because I was young. You know, you think you know everything at the age of 18, and then, you know, you're on top of the world, and you're so independent, but at the same time, I knew uh, how naive I was, and also knowing that he, over the years, had taken away my self-esteem, that I didn't even know who I was for so many years, even being with him. Although I knew my role as a mother, as I did get pregnant later and had a child, but I knew that I wanted to be the best mom to my daughter. Mm, thank you so much, Nancy. Diane, you mentioned a couple of family members how has the loss affected you and other family members differently, if it has, or similarly? My sister and I had stepped up to the plate, and, and my brothers helped to clean out the house for Christy and Nathan, her two children, because Christy was expecting a baby in early September, and her son lives in South Carolina. So we took it upon ourselves to help in that regards of the legal aspects, getting a lawyer, cleaning out the house. And it was mainly my sister Beth and her husband Joe and I that would go to the home on weekends. And that's when we found a lot of these writings that Sue had tucked in everywhere. My mother and father. My dad's pretty quiet. He keeps a lot to himself. My mom is still dealing with this to this day. can't imagine losing a child and especially this way. And so she doesn't even want to see the house. She doesn't know how we actually did what we did, but I think you just step up to the plate and you think about it later, because we look back and think, how did we do what we did? Mm -hmm. You know, and find the things and bring back all these memories. And, um, but we're there for my niece and nephew, and now the grandchildren. I can never replace my sister Sue as their mom and grandma, but we, you know, acknowledge their birthdays, their anniversaries, Christmas, Easter, and in touch with them all the time. With my brothers, they're, they keep quiet. They don't really talk. I don't know if it's a man thing or not, you know, <laughs> but, um, but, but Beth and I get, got to meet Nancy and through her organization to keep Sue's memory alive, we got involved with Randy's House of Angels. So that gives us a purpose to keep her memory alive and be able to help other victims, especially children. My sister Sue loved children. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we're happy everywhere that we can do a fundraiser and raise money for Nancy's cause Excellent. and Sue's memory. Yes, fantastic. Nancy. You mentioned that you had rules placed upon you almost immediately and that there was physical violence almost immediately. Did you see those as red flags or did you just see that as normal or something else? No, uh, because again, how he, I call it setting the stage. I mean, he made sure that I was number one, you know, in his life. 
and again, I only knew him for six months, so it was calling me every day, writing me, just saying that you know he wants to be with me the rest of his life, and so I believed in all that, and so I took that one step further after you know I was living away from my parents, and just knowing that you know here was a man that I believed in, I trusted, and although he was abusive, I forgave him. And that forgiveness continued for many, many years. I certainly wasn't going to try to change him. I was hoping that he would change and see that the abuse was hurting me, that it was harming our relationship. But I felt that the more that he abused me, the more control that he had over me. Again, being so naive, you know, I took it in when he told me that, you know, you'll never leave me. You know, I'm the best thing for you. I'm a provider. I'm the breadwinner. He'd always remind me that he was the breadwinner. Um, so I really was more afraid of him, of the consequences of what would happen to me. And, you know, when you have a child involved, I kept thinking of, like, what, what's going to happen to me? I'm not going to be able to stand on my own because that's what I was told. No one wants you. You'll never be able to make it on your own. I'm everything to you. Uh, just You just become so independent. And to me, now that I look back on that, the abuse, some people will ask me, well, why didn't you leave? Or as if I'm deserving of the abuse. But that's not an easy step at all. Well, thank you so much, because that's what we want to focus on today. Why didn't you leave? And we have a situation with Sue who didn't leave and had a horrible outcome, and we have you who ended up leaving. Nancy, could you tell me a little bit more about, or tell us a little bit more about your not leaving? Some of it was the things that you've just mentioned. Well, like I said, I was afraid. I was afraid of what he would physically do to me. He threatened he would take my daughter away from me. She was my life. He threatened me in a way to make me, using the same, me being so naive, and my self-esteem was so low, he took advantage of that. So it made me so, so dependent upon him that I questioned myself. No matter how many times I had a safety plan, I questioned myself about, do I have the courage to take that step to leave? Or I have a home and I have food on the table, food on the table for my daughter, and is that enough to keep me here to endure the abuse that I would have to face every day? And I think that those are so many factors that a lot of victims will think about, you know, as they're enduring the abuse daily, whether it's verbal abuse, you know, the mental abuse, physical abuse, which was so common for me. I mean, I knew that I would get slapped across the face or kicked or I would have bruises all over my body. But again, the intimidation and control of your abuser is so strong. And when your self-esteem is so low, you're so vulnerable. And you said your self-esteem was low. Do you think that was related to what he was saying to you? Of course. I think that that's the empowerment of an abuser, taking advantage of that. You know, they, they know exactly what they're doing. They, my, my ex-husband knew taking me away from my family was an open window for him. My ex-husband knew that 
I went to great extents to cover my bruises, to not tell anyone or any show any signs that he was abusing me. That protection alone was an empowerment for him. And I would have to tell you that as my daughter grew, and when I finally left him when she was five years old, she also protected him because she never, ever mentioned to her grandma, grandpa, or pap-pap, or others in the family, her aunts, or uncles, anything about that daddy was hitting mommy or this was happening in my house. And kids will talk. So kids do protect you as a victim also, and but they're caught up. They're also victims. So there's not only a victim of uh, a um, cycle of abuse, there's a cycle of protection of the abuser that you've just described. Thank you. Diane, Sue was not able to leave, and you have you, you saw a lot of that. You tried to cajole her into leaving and, and other things, as well as your your sister trying as well. You had a PFA out against you because the abuser didn't want you to be involved. Can you talk specifically about anything that you know about why she couldn't leave? Because I think a lot of people say people just don't leave. It's their fault, et cetera, et cetera. And we know that's not true. So there were probably some things that you may have seen that contributed to her not leaving that you might want to share with us. It seemed like she protected him or defending him of Anytime he did anything nice, she would say how he would always bring her flowers. And one time I was visiting when they were there at my parents, and uh, he, she went on about these flowers, and she saved all the petals in a big jar. And it was like, and just out of the blue, I said, well, that's, uh, if my husband did that, I'd say, what the heck are you up to that you're giving me flowers all the time? And I didn't even think about it because of their situation they both just looked at me funny and I said well I'm sorry in my marriage we just don't do those kind of things I don't expect flowers and that and but Jim was when they joined the church they invited my parents and my husband and I and I think it was always these incidents like they did celebrate Christie's 30th birthday again I just myself and my husband and my parents and I think it was to show that they did have a loving relationship because we doubted so much. When they bought a new house, bought new vehicles, we thought, well, were we wrong? Is everything okay? They went on cruises together. She borrowed my, our luggage, and they made everything sound really great. And like even on her Facebook page, it was like they were trying to tell people, you're wrong about us, we're, we're doing great. But now after it all happened, you think they tried too hard to make things look like it was fine. And the children shared with us, and I wish they would have told us beforehand, of incidents where Sue left Jim for a couple days in January before this happened in July. But her reasoning was she thought he was having an affair with another person. And she was so upset, took Christy out to lunch, and she said she stayed at a hotel near the West Shore Hospital. We didn't know anything about this till after the fact, and I remember the time this happened. I actually had to take uh, our mother to the emergency room, and Sue and Jim met us there because I had texted her and told her that, you know, she was coming in, checking out her heart, making sure everything was all right, and they come in through the parking lot holding hands, hunky-dory, and... We found out later this was the time when she just went back to him. She was away 
for a couple days. But her reason that time to her daughter was because she thought he had another lady, because that was his pattern. But no, and we found out through friends after Sue died that he um, threatened her and said about the children. She, I think, out of fear. But then he had back pain, was dealing with doctors, got hooked on painkillers, which his anger was more so because of this. And he missed a lot of work from the paperwork that we read. But Sue still defended him. And then we still think, did she think that maybe he would die? She'd never be able to explain to us her abuse. Everything would be fine, that it would end that way, just with some of the writings. Because there was times where she would talk to God and tell him, you know, help her. She made a wrong decision. How do I get out of this? And it was her writings that really hit home to us. And then even the eeriest part is when this happened to her, her cell phone was in the car, her daughter got her cell phone, and on the notes that she wrote was her blood with these incidents because it everything happened in her vehicle when he right. killed her. And uh, eerie things like that. Mm-hmm. And then you see her writings and... What hurt us most is if we'd only known, could we have reached out to her again? Could he have talked to Jim and said, you you know, you have to put up with us if you heard her? But these are things we'll never know. Right. And the sad part is after this happened, the newspaper articles, the stories that you read, there was people defending him. Like the night before he was on a fire call, the one lady said, oh, the smoke must have affected his mind that he would do such a horrible act. I mean, they found excuses for this. So that really hurt us to know as a family that we're still protecting him from the last act he did on this earth. And even though he was a paramedic, a firefighter, I'm sorry, that wipes everything clean, you know, wipes that out when you murder somebody Mm -hmm. as your last act on earth and taking your own life. But this is why... The anger and wanting, because people said, oh, I'm sure she had an affair. He was mad, and that's why he killed her. So we were fortunate enough to have Nancy Eshelman come out a year later, and we explained the things that we saw and knew afterwards and got Sue's story out to say she was a victim. Mm -hmm. She wasn't the cause for what he did to her. Mm -hmm. So it kind of gave us a little bit of peace that way because – People defending him just made us sick. Yeah. You know? And the anger still lingers. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Get ready for another swing at changing lives with the annual Round for Randy golf outing. Hosted by Randy's House of Angels, join us on Friday, September 6, 2024 at Rich Valley Golf Course in Mechanicsburg, PA. Tee off with registration at 7.15 a.m. and a shotgun start at 8 a.m. Since 2016, this golf outing has seen the support soar, raising over $100,000 in total. Your participation in these events directly fuels our programs and services, making a real difference in the lives of children. Let's come together, make memories, and leave an everlasting impact. Join us in supporting the mission of Randy's House of Angels, because every step and every swing counts. 
you mentioned writings. I wanted to just clarify. Those are things that you found after she had yes. um, been killed. Yes, I okay. wish we'd have known that before, but I think yeah. it was her therapy. Right. It was always at lunchtime. She would write these notes of incidents of, oh, he was nasty today. I don't know how much more I can take of this. The next time, I wish I had the old gym bag, the one that was kind, the one that gave me flowers. And so, I mean, her mind was just so twisted the right. way he was just like a spider and she was in a web trying to get out. Right. Any thoughts about that from your point of view? Well, Diane, just what she just mentioned about a spider in a web, I, I really thought hard about that because that's how I relate to my abuser. He had me caught up in the web, and then he kept spinning this web, and it kept getting larger and larger. And so I was so much part of that, the control. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but that's exactly how I visualize that myself. And that when your abuser has so much control of you and your mind that you begin to second-guess yourself. Was I deserving of this abuse? Was I not obeying him? Was I not cooking the right meal to cause him to throw the food across the table in the kitchen every time we sat down for a meal? Was I not being a good wife or a good mother? And so that web continues to grow. I'm glad you said that, Diane, because it, you're so caught up in that as a victim that it, it just encompasses you in so many ways. And then you do, you do begin to find outlets. I've written in a journal from the first day my daughter has been born, and that was in December 15th of 1974. To this day, 48 years, I look back in that journal and I see my comments, I see what I wrote down that even still protected him. Today wasn't a good day. Or I, I, I remember, because uh, I've gone back and read reading, like, I hope Randy didn't hear me cry. Or I hope, Randy, my daughter, I, didn't, I hope that he comes home today in a better mood. Or I sat outside in the car during the wintertime and for the full day, and the neighbors came over to get me. I can remember that day. I was in my slippers and my pajamas, and then he threw Randy out, into, out of the house in the car with me, and I had no choice but to walk in my slippers to the neighbors next door where the snow was so deep. Those are the things that I wrote down. That That's what I was feeling that day. Mm-hmm. And it's sad because you don't want to remember those things, but that's the web that you're so caught up in, and you try to find these little outlets. And I appreciate you sharing that. Nancy, are there things that were said to you at any time during this experience, this ordeal, that were particularly helpful or that were particularly hurtful? Because I know that a lot of times in situations like this, people don't know what to say, so they don't come around. They don't want to say the wrong thing. That's all, you know, understandable. But what did you hear, if anything, that was particularly helpful or hurtful? There were so many things that were hurtful. Mm -hmm. Because keep in mind, I kept my abuse to myself. Mm -hmm. I didn't want anyone to know that he was not a good husband, that he was abusing me. That was my best kept secret. And I think that that's important because that was also part of that web that he knew that I wasn't sharing this with anyone. I'll be honest with you, anything helpful No, because the time that my abuse was taking place in the 70s, they didn't have shelters. 
My only place to go was my family, which I didn't want to burden them with this, and also the police. And I knew that if I went to the police, what the consequences would be, not only for him, but also for me. So he had threatened me many times with that. But I will say to you that I had hope for myself. I had hope with my low self-esteem of not being able to make decisions, not being permitted to make decisions, not being able to hold a job because those were the rules, to say to myself one day that I'm going to turn 25 years old, that I need to move on from this abuse, that this is the final step. And if it was me turning 25, maybe that was the positive things. But I had to to look at myself internally. I couldn't look at him being my savior and stopping because he would never stop. It was It was constantly... I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and I kept believing him. But I looked at myself and said, you know, I have hope. I have hope that I will have the courage inside of me to take that step, to take my safety plan, and to move out of this relationship, and I did it. So that, to me, is the positive things. Keep in mind, I kept my secret. No one no one would had come to me and say, you need to leave him because they didn't know about this. Mm -hmm. So that's why the positive things came from within myself. And that's where it starts. You empower yourself Mm -hmm. to take the next step. So you said you turned 25 and that meant something and you had a safety plan. Can you just touch on safety plans and what maybe anything specific to yours that you think would be helpful and to share? My safety plan started with leaving everything behind but my daughter and me, my health my mental being, and all the materialistic things, I can replace them. And I knew that I had to take that big step, which I did. I left. And I kept thinking about before that step, before that time, what am I going to take with me? What do I need? Uh, how much money do I have? Which I didn't have money because I wasn't allowed to have you know, money. You know, I wasn't allowed to be in control of that, so I knew that the money. But all I knew is that my safety plan at that time was going to include my family. I left. I went to my sister's home. I let her know what was going on, and that's when I started my new life. Didn't have a job, but I knew that I wanted and needed to move forward. In my mind, I set, always had long-term goals. I wanted to go to college. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted my daughter, Randy, to have a safe place and to have a good education and to start preschool and go to kindergarten and first grade. And so those were part of my safety plans. My other and most important part of my safety is definitely, like I said, informing my family so that if my abuser, my ex-husband, came at any time in our presence that they knew and that at that time I would call the police. I had the courage to know that I would call the police. I would tell you that my abuser came to my sister's house. I can remember the day, my ex-husband, and grabbed my daughter out of my hands and took her away. I ran after him in the car as he drove away, and he took her for most of the day. It's it's really terrible for me because I miss her to this day. But... He brought her back later during the night and just pushed her on me and said, take her. She keeps crying for you. And he said to me, I told you, you smother her with so much love that she doesn't want to get away from you. Just take her. 
And that, to me, was the biggest step for me to know that, yes, this is the right thing. Wow. Quite the story. So we started with um, why, do, why don't victims of domestic violence leave and what do abusers do to keep you here? We've talked a lot about that in various ways. Anything you two want to add that you feel like the audience, it would be helpful for them to hear or that was uh, extremely important to you or important, perhaps in, extremely terrifying for you? We try to reach out to different people, trying to put pieces together, trying to understand what really went on in our sister's life. We only had a couple people that would talk to us because I still feared Jim when he was already gone. We, one um, girl that he was married to, a lady, friends of the family that we knew of from the community, she came and spoke to my parents and said the awful things that he did to her and now that she even knows he's gone, if she hears a noise in the middle of the night, she thinks it's him at the door. I mean, so she had terrifying incidents mm -hmm. with him. I actually reached out to the different women that he was involved with, thinking they would share with us. And I said, I don't want to get them in trouble. I was just trying to put the pieces together to figure out our sister's life and what she dealt with, even though we saw her writings. We wanted to know more. We found a note, an email. She wrote a lot of emails. She sent an email to a minister that did Jim's mother's funeral. And she expressed how comfortable she felt around her, that she had some issues, that she wanted to reach out to her, and if they could meet and she could talk to her. And we're thinking, was that about her life, her abuse? I reached out to that minister, but I never heard back from her. So it kind of hurt that when you reach out to figure things out or learn more, the people were afraid to talk about mm -hmm. I just assumed that's what it was. Mm -hmm. I mean, the one girl that Jim was involved with that my sister reached out to, my sister Beth, um, they never married. She was afraid to say too much that she would lose her job. But she said the one time that Jim showed abuse to her, she called <clears throat> the police. They came to the house they saw it was him. They knew him through the community and his job. And all they said was, we'll take you to your mother's to let you cool down. Never wrote him up. He never had a record that we know of of his abuse. So then we figured if my sister Sue knew this, who would she reach out to if she couldn't even trust the police to help her in this situation because of who he was in the community? So the, the police protected him and dusted it under the rug. Yeah. And yes. So you you wonder, like with Nancy being abused, it's to have that self-esteem and know you really want to get away from this. And I've talked to other people in the past that have been involved in a domestic situation, and she said it is your self-esteem. You have to be stronger. You have to prove to them you can live without them because she said that is what they constantly tell you. You'll never survive. You'll come back to me. Yeah. So. Thank you. Yeah. Nancy. I would like to share with everyone and individuals that not too sure if they're being victimized or not, just to know that there are so many different types of abuse. Don't just rely on if it's just physical abuse. I mean, the mental abuse, the financial abuse, the uh, just just the, so much control of your abuser is there, and it may not be apparent, just to recognize that. 
also wanted to say that um, when I got finally got the divorce papers, that wasn't the end for me. Please plan that as part of your safety plan, that the abuse continues, especially when you have con- children, that you uh, become stronger and be able to defend yourself. The divorce, divorce paper doesn't is not a certification for end of abuse. Mm. <laughs> and then most importantly, please don't judge me or judge others that don't leave. It's not an easy step. People ask me that all the time. Why didn't you leave? I say, you didn't walk in my shoes. Mm-hmm. Just don't judge me. That's, that's wonderful to say. Thank you. Thank you, Diane. Thank you, Nancy. It's so Thank good you. to be with You're you today. Welcome. Randy's House of Angels is sponsoring a series of podcasts that will serve as a resource to anyone impacted by domestic violence, including parents, guardians, caseworkers, health providers, advocates, teachers, trauma specialists, clinicians, and more to provide an overview of domestic violence and how to handle situations where domestic violence is present. This is a series of 10 podcasts that will include an overview in healthy relationships, the different types of abuse, supporting someone who is engaged in an unhealthy relationship, and criminal justice resources available to victims. It will also include testimony and stories from courageous survivors who are victims of domestic violence. The podcast will be released starting in October of 2023 and run through February of 2024. If you miss a podcast, it will be made available on demand on Randy's House of Angels website at randyshouseofangels.org. After you've listened to our podcast, we would love to hear from you. Your feedback is crucial for the future of our podcast programs. There is a survey available on our website at randyshouseofangels.org. You can also reference the resources that support the podcast on the website, again, at randyshouseofangels.org. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.